All right. So Wendy had a question. So yeah. So yeah. So this is this is a good question. So. Okay. So um, I was doing a little bit of research on what our, what our topic was last week, and um, I came across three terms that I was kind of curious on what we. What we're teaching, yeah. On what we're teaching, and so what I came across was, and I may not say this right. Go ahead. Historicism, preterism, futurism, and I was wondering. I thought I knew from what I've been listening to David on where we kind of follow along or stand on that, but I just wanted to clarify with him because sometimes the Protestant and the Catholic faith um, have different views. Obviously, but on the end times, and so it kind of explains. So I'll let David. Good. Okay. So those are big words: historicism, the preterite view, and all right. Uh, so, um, and so let's let me make it real simple uh, for us. Um, so basically, uh, there are two. So the question is. Have the things in the book of Revelation already happened? That's historicism or the preterite view. It's already happened, past tense. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, they kind of go together. Um, or is or are the events spelled out in Revelation future? Okay. Um, are, are they going to happen in the future? That, that's basically it, right? Um, what denominations generally, uh, you know, uh, hold that this has all already taken place, so to speak? That the, most of the events in the book of Revelation have already happened. I would say most of your main uh, denominations that are amillennial, ah uh, means no millennial kingdom, no millennial kingdom. In other words, there's not a literal thousand year reign of Christ. And the way this logic goes is that we are now in the kingdom. This is the kingdom, okay? This is how they, you know, how they, they argue, uh, argue this. Um, and, I'll, and so let me just kind of flesh it out and then explain how they get there because it'll make more sense because it sounds absurd right now to think we're in the kingdom, okay? So I want to explain how they, how they get there. And, and maybe it's, how many of them are like uh, anything that's amillennial, so so pres uh, Presbyterian, uh, Methodist, um, um, Catholic, uh, basically all of your mainline denominations, your your Protestant denominations, um, are uh, hold to a preterite view. Now, not every not everyone in not every Methodist, not every Presbyterian, not every, uh, but the denominations as a whole. That's their history, and this is where um, the church has has generally believed from about the third century until the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century. So there's this uh, long time in church history where this was generally the view of end times. End times was not something that was discussed, right? Uh, when we when we think about church history, so does everybody make a sense uh, of, the, of what we're saying? Okay, so let me kind of see if I can fill this in for us, so so that it, uh, it makes Lutheran. Uh, Lutheran would be an amillennial um, um, you know group as well, a denomination. Um, in uh, throughout church history, there are questions that kind of arise that the church has to address, right? Uh, early in church history, um, the, the, the question about the person and, and nature of Christ was central, okay? Um, was Christ fully human or was he not? Was he, uh, um, or or was he fully God, or was he not? And so this was a discussion that occupied 
the church, uh, the, the councils, right? The early councils in the church. Um, and this is where we get phrases that aren't in the Bible, but these are doctrines that since then the church has believed. Um, if you've, I doubt you've heard this, you have to be a seminar to have ever heard this phrase, but uh, hypostatic union, right? Hypostatic union. Um, that is a conclusion um, that comes from the church, that the church concluded that Christ was fully human and fully divine, fully God, right? So this was the God-man. Uh, he was always God. The second person of the Trinity always existed, was always God, but at the incarnation, he took on flesh. So the God became man. The God-man, you know, the, the second person of the Trinity became the God-man, fully God, and took on full humanity. He didn't take on the appearance of humanity. Um, he took on humanity, right? Now, they don't flesh out a lot of what that means, but, but that was an early discussion of the church. The next question that comes up in the church is, okay, did the Holy Spirit emanate from the Father or the Father and the Son, right? So they're not, uh, they're not, you know, really discussing, you know, some of the, some of these end time debates, right? Uh, and so that was settled. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit emanates from the Father and from the Son. And and so, uh, so, so the, 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 uh, if you're a Presbyterian, if you're a Lutheran, if you're a Methodist, uh, you have the creeds. You know the creeds. You were raised on the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, and, and so forth. And, and so these were the conclusions from these ch church councils that defined orthodoxy. Now, remember, the church was uh, what we would say is Catholic. There, there weren't. Presbyterians and Lutherans and all that during the second, uh, the third century, early third, uh, well, 325. So that would be. So this is post-Reformation. Yes, yes, yes. So, so, so the, the church throughout history is dealing with these issues, okay? Um, uh, and so we've got these creeds. The creeds basically, by 425, they're, they're, they're basically, you know, the church kind of goes along for quite a while. Not until the Reformation does the question of salvation come back up. How is one, in fact, saved? Because what had happened in church history was the church had always taught that you're saved by grace through faith. Right? But increasingly in the church, because of some of the things that were going on in, in what came to be known as the, 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 uh, the, the Catholic Church, Right, not the universe, not the. It was always the little C Catholic Universal Church, but but now it's going to. There's going to be a distinction between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church in the West. Okay. Um, let me back up just a little bit. In the East, right, the East and West Church split happens around about a thousand, and the reason why it split was because there were basically five centers, not S I N N E R S, but C E N T E R S centers. Of, of church authority. Antioch was one. Uh, Jerusalem uh, was one. Rome was one. Um, Constantinople was one. And Alexandria. Well, these are the five. Four of them are in the east. One is in the west. The one that's in the west is Rome. And because of, of an issue, uh, a heresy that was happening in the church, which the East had basically already dealt, uh, dealt with and had driven all of the heretics into the West, right? Now Rome's got to deal with these heretics in the West, okay? And, and so what they did, uh, and this goes back to the, does the Spirit emanate from the Father or for the Father and the Son, which seems to be kind of a, you know, we don't particularly, I mean, that doesn't keep us up at night. Um, but because of that discussion, the church in the West changed the decree um, the creed uh, to say that the spirit, in fact, emanates from the father and the son. And they were correct in that. Okay, That wasn't the issue. The issue was, does the Western church, I'm going somewhere with this, hang in here. Okay, I just want you to understand, uh, you know, kind of how the, the, the issues in front of the church have been different throughout the ages, 
right? And, and so until the church engages in the discussion, there's been no conclusions about it, per se. So, um, so the, the issue was not whether the Western church was right. I think everybody agrees that they were. The question was, did the West have the authority to operate on their own, apart from the rest of the church? Uh, and this is where Rome says, we do what we want. You're not the boss of us. And so, so in the West, this becomes the beginning of individualism. You're not the authority of me. I'm my own authority, says the Pope, right? He's going to appoint himself as leader in the West. Then the question becomes in the Western church, how do we hold this church account, this Pope accountable? And, you know, and, and it, just, it just goes from there. And all of those, those church governance questions that we deal with, in the West and government questions that we deal with in the West, right? Um, we, the people, we, this, this started in the, the Roman Catholic church. It didn't start in government. The question in Roman Catholic church was if the Pope is the leader of the church, who holds the Pope accountable? And the answer was we, right? Uh, we, the people hold the leader accountable. This is going to set up how we run corporations in the West. It's going to set up how we do business. And everything is going to flow in the West out of this kind of a philosophy, right? Um, so then what happens in the Protestant movement is, the, is now in the West, uh, some of the Catholic monks, Luther being one, or priests, Luther being one, um, was reading Galatians and Romans and realized that the church was not teaching anymore that you were saved by grace through faith. The church was teaching you were saved. That wouldn't even be the language they would talk about. You were either in the church or you weren't in the church. And if, you know, and to be in the church was to be a Catholic. Right? Um, and so Luther said, wait a second, uh, we have deserted our own tradition. The church was teaching selling of indulgences. They were, you know, they were doing things to raise money to build church buildings and all kinds of stuff. And Luther said, this isn't right. Um, we must go back, form again, what the church has always believed. Right? And so now the doctrine of salvation becomes central to the church discussion. And the, 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 the reformers, those who desired to reform the church, go back to what the church had always believed. In fact, do not ever um, achieve the Reformation. Uh, instead, what happens is a protest movement, right? And so now we get the Presbyterians and the, um, the Lutherans, and then a century or so later, the Methodists and all. And, and so all of these protest movements, they continue to protest and protest and protest. But all, but all of them uh, basically held to what the church had believed since, in relation to eschatology, what the church had believed since the third century. Okay? And they didn't ever really, really revisit that discussion. Okay, so in the first three centuries, uh, the, church was, uh, the church's view of end times was futurist, which is what we're teaching. Yes. Uh, uh, through church history writings, right? So we find this in the writings of the church fathers, um, uh, in the apostolic fathers. We have the apostles, and then the next generation we call apostolic uh, fathers, right? They were the ones that directly followed the, the apostles. Then we got the Nicene fathers, the uh, the anti-Nicene fathers. So, so you know, kind of we, we set this in, in ages, Regard Nicaea, Nicene Creed, right? Those who came before the Nicene Creed, after the Nicene Creed. And, and, and so we see through the writing of the people in the church what the church was believing at that time. Okay. Um, we good so far? Just, you don't have to remember any of this. It doesn't, you know, you just, just kind of let it sink in. Go, oh, okay, this is making sense, right? Is it making sense to you? Okay. Um, only us eggheads teach in seminary after remember this. The four churches in the East still working. The four churches, the four, yes. Yeah, so this is what we now call the Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, well, they're not the same. They're not the same centers of uh, of of power, but the the East has stayed united. 
And in the, okay, so in contrast to what happens in the West, individualism kind of takes over. In the East, just as the West kind of, what happens in the Western church defines Western culture, so also what happened in the East continued to define Eastern culture. So in the East, right, um, uh, you see all these Russian churches, right? Uh, the, um, the East uh, tends towards um, corporatism, socialism, communalism, right? Uh, now, what happens in communism and socialism is uh, both philosophies, East and the West, reject God, uh, and they say, what's the next step after God? Where is truth to be found? Uh, in the East, it's reject God, and so now we set up a culture that is uh, a um, utopian culture after God. So we've got to kill this God thing to set up the next step in the progression of human development, right? And so that's why communism, socialism, always, almost always, in its purest form, goes with atheism as well, rejection of God. In the West, um, it takes a different form. Uh, it, is, uh, it is true because it's true for me, right? So it's individualism, individual beliefs, individual views. And, and so there's more of a history, a development in the, the West because of all of the different renditions uh, that show up in, in the faith, right? Romanticism, uh, mysticism, all of these isms are going to show up mostly in the West. And so we benefit from the hangovers of all of the bad theology that has come. Not only see, see uh, not only uh, through the church split, the great divide or the great split uh, uh, in uh, 1000, but also all of those that have followed throughout uh, the, the history of the church in the West. Okay. Um, so now we've got some people who are raised Methodist, Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, Presbyterian. Each of us uh, in each of those denominations go through mysticism and um, romanticism and, uh, and you know all kinds of stuff. And so, so all of that just continues in the church. And so now we've got this mess. We've got to deal with all of it. The goal is to go back to what the church has always believed. Right? We're still trying to reform the church. But what has it always believed in terms of the revelation? Okay, no, good. All right, so so let's go back. So um, so what what uh, preacher was was saying today with the book of Ephesians, right? That uh, that Paul is a Jew, uh, and Paul is writing to Gentiles, and Gentiles don't know anything, right? At this time, I mean, they, they don't know anything about uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Israel, the God of Israel. Uh, the scriptures, the, the law, the prophets, the psalm, no, nothing. They got nothing. They got Zeus and I don't know, and whatever the pagans were always doing, right? Basically, what our culture is doing now. They're out there worshiping trees and frogs and, yeah, whatever, sticks and frogs, right? Um, uh, and so Paul's desire was for them to be able to comprehend with all of the saints. Now, who are the saints? Well, the saints is Israel, right? Uh, what is the width, the width and the depth and the height of, of this plan of redemption that God has not only for Israel, but for the nations? Uh, and so um, the church fathers, Gentiles, aren't authorities on the Old Testament. And over time, increasingly, they come to the conclusion that the promises made to Israel are being fulfilled in the church. Okay, the promises made to Israel are being fulfilled in the church. Uh, probably 300. This is about the time when, when the church leaves its, and it wasn't like, okay, let's reject this. It was just, it wasn't thought that they had developed much. It was simply, they recognized that, that when Peter is writing to, for example, when Peter is writing to the, to the saints in, in, uh, in First Peter, um, they're saying, you know, he's quoting Old Testament passages. So then they go back to the Old Testament passages. You are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, right? And they say, well, that was for Israel. 
but he's writing it to the church. Therefore, that which was written to Israel is being fulfilled in the church, right? And so that's where this kind of this logic train goes. Forgetting, uh, forgetting, never realizing what the Old Testament actually said. They just went back to the verse and said, oh, well, there you go, right? Uh, instead of understanding that God was working through Israel and through Israel's rejection, the gospel would come to the Gentiles, but God has not uh, forsaken his people Israel, that he will keep his promises to them, right? And so this, uh, what we would call a um, uh, replacement theology, the church has replaced Israel. The promises made to Israel in the Old Testament are being fulfilled in the church now. And so many of those promises in the Old Testament relate to the kingdom. Um, so uh, in, the, in the covenant, the king, it, they go with kingdom, Christ, and new covenant. Okay? Those three things go together in the Old Testament. That, that the kingdom is introduced by the king who brings a new covenant. Right? They forgot to Israel. Okay? So, so they say, well, uh, the king has come. And we're under a new covenant, therefore we must be in the kingdom. That's how their logic train goes. Okay. Everybody good so far? Uh, well, the new covenant is uh it comes out of two passages. Well, more than two passages, but but uh Jeremiah 31, 31 through end of the chapter, 31 through 34, really explicitly. Uh, but uh it says, uh Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. In the day that I took them by the hand and brought them out of, the, uh, out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. But I will uh, make a new covenant with them. I will remove their heart of stone. I will give them a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within them. They will be my God. The problem is it was made to the house of Judah and the house of Israel. A new, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Well, so the new covenant, uh, it, the, the new covenant, uh, we, we call this the Old Testament and New Testament. The word testament, letter covenant. The old covenant, the new covenant. The old covenant, Israel was under the old covenant. What was the old covenant? The Mosaic covenant, the law. But, and the law failed. The law failed to do what it was designed to do, specifically convict Israel of their sins and to drive them to Christ, to convince them of their need because it, re it, it was to force them to recognize their sin, their need for Christ. Okay? And so, um, and so they, uh, they rejected the laws, the statutes, the commands of the Lord, and they went and followed the gods of the nations. And so the Lord says in his new covenant, that I will give you a new heart, Israel, and a new spirit, and I will make you walk in my ways. Does the new covenant start at a certain period of time? Starting to get here? The new covenant. It's not Well, let's. Let, let, yes, 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 yes. So, um, so, so we're now we're getting into so now you're starting to see that this, this discussion that starts to it just starts to explode, right? If we're going to read the text literally, and we're going to say that the promises, when God says Israel, when the scriptures say Israel, does it mean Israel? Uh, yes. Okay. What are the implications of that? Right? Because we aren't um, Israel. We're not DNA Israel. So how does the new covenant relate to us? How does Christ relate to us? How does salvation relate to us? And so there's all kinds of these questions. We, yeah, so, so, so the, uh, the old, uh, you know, the denominational folks just say, well, you know, we don't have to think about any of this. It's just where the, you know, Israel church, same thing. Promises to them are the promises to us. Um, the problem with that is the New Testament still talks about Jews and Gentiles, as does the Old Testament. And so if, if we have become Israel, why is the New Testament talking about Gentiles? Right? So it's just really a, a very general reading. It's a theological reading uh, that doesn't rely on what the Scripture actually says. Okay? Now, um, Late, 
late 1800s, uh, there were uh, a group of folks who began, who were reading the scriptures, and they were saying, wait a second, um, if we read this plainly, what we're saying it's saying isn't what it's saying, right? Uh, do you remember uh, Princess Bride? Remember the uh, Antigo Montoya? Was it? Is it Antigo Montoya? I don't think you keep an eagle mentor. I don't think you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means, right? <laughs> you know, that's the that's the problem, right? Uh, and so, our understanding, if if we're understanding, at least they entertain the possibility that maybe if we just try to read it and understand it, maybe it'll make sense. And, and that's where we have gone. And I'm telling you, it makes amazing level of sense. But but this was a discussion because other issues in the church had already been dealt with. Now, this is uh, a an issue that the church now says, okay, let's deal with this. And so even today, all the denominations are coming to the realization. Even the, the preterist or the, the historicist are coming to the realization that there is a future for Israel. That's just a plain reading of the text. Hold on, we got a question. Yeah. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Weren't they the one that didn't know God and didn't understand? Correct. So wouldn't that be even for a day? If we want to use a different term, we can call ourselves Jews and carry over there because God is a Gentile. Yeah, the problem with that is it redefines the terms. No, that redefines the terms. Okay, uh, because, okay so, so let's talk about this. Okay, so all right, so, so time out from Revelation. And that's good. Look. We can go as, uh, the goal is for us to understand how we got here. So uh, let me show you some, uh, a couple passages, okay? Uh, turn over to Romans, uh, New Covenant. So we're, we're answering this New Covenant question, right? So I'm not leaving Katie's uh, question out, okay? New, new Testament equals New Covenant. Same, same language, okay? It's just a different word. Um, uh, well, what was Katie's question? Uh, new Testament equals New Covenant. Okay. Um, neither. Yeah. Romans. Uh, uh, let's go to uh, Romans chapter uh, chapter nine. Uh, right. Uh, the covenant and testament aren't even the right word. The right word is berit. What? Berit. Berit is the word that's used in the Hebrew scriptures. Right. Uh, karat is to cut a barit, to cut a covenant. A covenant is a barit, okay? Um, now, how is that word covenant translated into different languages? Well, you can get testament or covenant, okay? But the word, is, does that make sense, right? So I don't care if you say testament or covenant, we're, we're both referring back to the same promise in the Old Testament, okay? So the, but the new covenant slash new testament is not equal to what was given in um, you're thinking New Covenant is a collection of books. It's not. The New Covenant is the books that were written about this new time that has come to pass. Okay, stick with me. By the end of the day, I think we'll get it. Okay, I think we'll get it. Okay, so so let's go back to this this question of of how we define our terms. Um, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. This is in Romans chapter 9. Paul writing to Gentile believers. I am uh, I'm not lying. My conscience bearing witness uh, in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I, uh, uh, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separate from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, and to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory of the covenants and the giving of the law and of the services, and of the promises, whose are the fathers, and, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh. Okay, what's he saying? 
I wish that I were cursed for the sake of my brethren, my fellow Jews, right? Who all these things were promised to. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. Here it is. For they are not all Israel who are from Israel. In other words, just because you have Jew, Jewish DNA doesn't make you a true Israelite. Now, you have to have it to be an Israelite, but there was something more that was required. Faith. Through faith. See, uh, because he's going to go on to explain, uh, Abraham had two sons. Uh, both from the DNA of Abraham, but both were not children of promise. Ishmael, children of the flesh, child of the flesh, but Isaac was a child of the promise. And so also Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, both DNA, but only one was a child of the promise. Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? And so that choice was made even before they had done anything uh, good or or bad, uh, so that uh, it may stand on the choice of God and not on uh, the man who wills or the man who runs. This is how it goes, uh, continues in chapter 9, okay? Uh, so, so Israel uh, is a people. It's a DNA. Gentiles are a DNA, okay? Now, could the Gentiles join the nation of Israel? Yes, in the Old Testament. Yes, how could they do that? be circumcision and keep the law. And so they were brought into the nation of Israel and into the, uh, uh, the word, Old Testament word is kohel, um, which is translated in, from the Hebrew into one of two Greek words in the Old Testament. Synagogue, does that sound familiar to you? Synagogos or ekklesia. Do you know that word? Church, yeah, assembly. Both of the, all of those words mean assembly. So even though the Gentiles, so let's put Gentiles down here. Let's put Israel up here. Uh, and uh, and th this is a DNA, right? Uh, but it's also a nation, okay? Uh, and the Gentiles, now, could, could someone in, in Israel be kicked out of the assembly? Yes. If they weren't circumcised, if they, you know, uh, they could be kicked out. So, so Israel is a nation. The ideal Israel is not just the DNA. It's a nation. It is the assembly of God's people. Old Testament. Right? Now the Gentiles, could, the, could a Gentile join the assembly? Yes. He circumcised, keep the law. Didn't change his DNA, but it did bring him into the assembly. And so what was more important than DNA was faith. Right. Through faith, the Gentile, can you, can you give me some Gentiles who were brought into the assembly? Rahab, Ruth, Tamar, those are big ones. Not only are these, these women brought into the assembly, they're in the direct line of Christ. Christ's genealogy uh, goes, you know, King David, it all comes right through uh, to King David, okay? So uh, what happened in the Old Testament is Israel rejected the Lord and went down there and joined the gods of the nations. Now, a remnant continues. A remnant. And this is what happens in the prophets. So a remnant. What does that mean, remnant? Yeah, a portion. Uh, uh, the believing remnant. There was, this would be the prophets, right? So the writing prophets continue and others continue. And the book of Isaiah talks about this remnant. Um, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah has two sons that we know of. He may have had more. Um, one of the sons' name is Shir Jashub. That's how we translate it, Shir Jashub. Uh, Sha'ar uh, Yashuv. Yashuv is return. Yashar, the remnant, will return. That's what Shir Jashub's name means, right? The other is, uh, if you're looking for a good Bible name for a kid or grandkid, Maharshal Hashbaz. You can, you can choose that one. That swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. Right? It's a little little wordy, but, you know, it'll be unique. What's your name, son? Uh, Maharshal Hashbaz. I'll just call you Hosh or Boz or something like that. I'll call you Boz, yeah. 
Okay, so Israel rejects, goes down here and joins the Gentiles, okay? And because of Israel's rejection, then Christ appears, right? So, so then Christ appears, and Israel uh, is told to do what? So now Israel's down here, and they're told to do what? Give me a different word. Return to the Lord, and he will restore you from captivity, and he will have compassion upon you, and he will uh, restore you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. Uh, you can shut it down right there if you want. Uh, does that make sense? Okay. Uh, we think repent, repent of your sins, right? You're drinking and smoking and bowling and dancing down there at wherever. That, that's not, that's not um, uh, how the Old Testament, what the Old Testament is talking about when it's talking, when it's calling Israel to repent. What Israel had done is they had rejected the Lord, their God, the God in whom there is salvation, the only God in whom there is salvation. Salvation from what? from the wrath of God, from the curses, the judgments uh, put on creation, right? Ultimately, uh, through resurrection of the dead, eternal life, through the Christ who is coming, right? So the provision of salvation from the God of Israel is Christ. And so they rejected the Lord to go down and join gods in whom there is no salvation. And there is no forgiveness for sin down here. Do you see it? And so the only place you can get forgiveness for sin is to return to the Lord your God. And when you return to the Lord your God, he will restore you from captivity and he will have compassion upon you, Israel. And he will gather you from the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you at the end of the earth. He will bring you back into the land which your fathers possessed and you will possess it and he will be your God and you will be his people. Right? They don't do it. They continue down here. And so because of their rejection, this is what Paul's writing, because of Israel's rejection, look at Romans chapter 10. My heart's desire and my prayer to God is for their salvation. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For not knowing about uh, God's righteousness and seeking uh, to establish a righteousness on their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. They were down here trying to make themselves righteous by somewhere, a place other than Christ, a way other than Christ. So uh, he continues, they did not all heed uh, the glad tidings for Isaiah says, chapter 16, 10, 16, uh, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God, 10, 17. But I say, Surely they never heard, have they? Indeed they have, right? Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? This is the, you know, the hypothetical art. Hey, Paul, they, Israel didn't know. Of course they did. At first, Moses said, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will move you to anger. And Isaiah was very bold. When he says, I was found by those who did not seek me. Um, who's he referring to here? The Gentiles. They were never told to seek the Lord. Israel was always told to seek the Lord. They were never told to seek the Lord. They never did seek the Lord. Um, but, they were, but, but the Lord was found by those who did not seek him. I, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and obstinate people, right? So, um, so because of Israel's rejection, the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ goes to the Gentiles, and they believe, right? Now, this is foretold throughout all of the prophets. So in all of the prophets, you have Jews and Gentiles. In the New Testament, Jews and Gentiles. In Paul's writing, Jews and Gentiles, right? All the way through here. Uh, and so when we read the scriptures plainly, this makes perfect sense. And it aligns with what's happened, what is happening. And now we can read the scriptures in the same way and conclude what will happen, right? And so the preterist historic, uh, historical uh, uh, view, it's waning quickly um, because Scholars are realizing, uh, Presbyterian scholars, covenant, new, you know, 
um, uh, uh, millennial uh, scholars are realizing uh, that they can't make sense of the terms. They can't make sense of the words without a plain reading, right? Uh, and so the church now is, is coming to understand um, what the scriptures are saying about these things. So increasingly, the futurist view, realization, is that there is a future for Israel, right? Um, proof. Um, I say then, so, so he continues. Uh, we'll look at chapter 11. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Who are his people? Well, if you go throughout all 39 books of the Old Testament and you do search for the phrase his people, every single time it refers to Israel. In the Gospels, that phrase shows up repeatedly uh, to save his people from their sins. This is why Jesus comes, to save his people from their sins, to save us from our enemies, right? Um, for the sake of our fathers and all this stuff, right? It's always referring to Israel. Now, what happens in the Gospels is through Israel's rejection, now the Gospels go into the Gentiles. And so here we are, right? So God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Foreknew. Those who he predestined, he foreknew to be conformed to. Those are the ones that he's talking about in Romans 8. It's not um, the, pre the, the Presbyterians, covenant theologians, um, the five-point Calvinist folks or whatever, the Calvinist group, because, the, because what was happening during the time, John Calvin was not worried about. It, was, it wasn't central to his thinking, nor anyone at that time. Who was God referring to when it says his people? He just assumed it was all of his people. You know, anyone who believes in Jesus, that's his people. Okay. Um, and so they just made the logical jump uh, that God has predestined all believers and foreknown all believers and, you know, is going to cause all things to work together for, for all believers and all this stuff, right? So they just kind of pile it all in there. Uh, and while that may be true theologically, that's not what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8. When Paul talks about those whom he foreknew, he's talking about Israel. When he's talking about those uh, who, to whom the adoption of sons belongs to, he's talking about Israel. Um, and it was through Israel's rejection, then the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And this goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, uh, where Moses, the song of Moses, Moses walks through all of Israel's, all of the history of the world. And through Israel's rejection, and by the way, if you look back up in Romans chapter 10, uh, at that, uh, that verse, I will make you jealous of those who are not a people, that's right out of Deuteronomy chapter 32. It's a quote from Deuteronomy 32. Through Israel's rejection, the gospel will go to the nations. And then uh, the Lord was going to let Israel go. You want to go serve these gods? Knock yourself out. See if they can deliver you, right? But then when he sees their hope is gone, when he sees their strength is gone, then he's going to rush in. And he's going to have compassion upon his people, and he's going to restore them. And he's gonna, then they're going to recognize, it is I who wound, I who heal, I who put to death, I who give life. There's no one who can deliver you from my hand. And so now the nations have come to believe in Christ. Now he's going to restore Israel. And so at the end of the story, the nations will rejoice with his people. Does that sound familiar? Nations? So where are we today? Uh, we're in the United States. Uh, is that the nation Israel? Uh, no. So would we be uh, the nations or would we his people Israel? Uh, we'd be the nations, right? Uh, but are, at the end of the story, are we going to rejoice with his people, Israel? Yes. Absolutely. Why? Because he made his promises to them, but not only concerning them, but also concerning them, right? So when we go all the way back to the promises uh, in Genesis 12, right? In Genesis, uh, the story tracks two things. It tracks the birthright, and the birthright belongs to Israel. It's their inheritance, the land. But that's not all that is tracked in the story. It's also the blessing. What blessing? The blessing of removal of the curses, resurrection of the dead, eternal life. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not only in you, Abram, but in your seed. See, it is the seed of Abram that's going to bring the blessing to the nations. Right? And so both are going to participate in the blessing. 
but Israel's going to get the land, as was foretold, as was promised throughout the story. Right? Uh, uh, Genesis uh, 12, uh, 1 through 3. Let me show you. Uh, so so uh, let me show you some interesting uh, passages here. Let me share my screen. Uh, screen. Uh, say. Uh, all right. Uh, look at the turnover to Genesis chapter twenty-eight. Um, Genesis twenty-eight, uh, verse three. Okay. Um, let me see if I can. Okay, now, um, uh, this is the Lord speaking to Jacob, and he says, uh, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you may be a company of peoples. Do you see that? Is that how is yours translated? Community of peoples? Assembly of peoples? What, what's, uh, Lois, what's, your, what's that translation? King James. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, the word here uh, is la kohal amim. That's two or four. This word, that's kohel. That's our word kohel. Okay. Uh, it is translated over here. S, sound this out. Uh, S, U, N, A, G, O G A S. Synagogos. What's that word? Synagogue. A synagogue, right? Of ethnos. Ethnicities. Yeah, that's where we get the word ethnicities from. Okay. The, the ethnos is not, uh, it's the ethnos. It's the, this is what was separated at the, you know, in chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. It, it, Ethnos were created. The, the nations were created. Okay, um, and I told you that this word kohel, same Hebrew word, is either either translated synagogue or ecclesia. Right. Um, in ecclesia, we know the word ecclesia as uh, yeah church ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay. Now, what does ecclesia mean? Um, well, it means kohel. It means gathering, assembly. That's why I, I find King James in the Old Testament to be probably the most accurate translation, usually, right? Um, a, an assembly of nations. A, now, change that word to ecclesia, a church of nations. What? An assembly of nations. In other words, the nations joined the assembly. That's what's going on in Ephesians chapter 2. You who are far, uh, far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, and he made the both one, both in one body, both in one church, both in one assembly. This is what's going on. This was promised all the way back in Genesis 28, right? Uh, look at uh, Genesis 35. Go down to Genesis 35, verse 11. Again. Uh, God Almighty said to him, uh, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation. Now, remember I told you that, that in the Hebrew it was Kohel Amin. Uh, Kohel Amin. Um, this is a different word. This is not Amin. That's peoples. You could, you could understand peoples variously. Okay. This is Goy. Goyim. Goyim means nations. Okay. There's no mistaking this. I will make you a nation. And an assembly of nations. I will make you a goy and a kohel goyim, an assembly of nations. Translated again over here in uh, verse 11, a S U N A G O G A. Now uh, it's different form. A synagogue, synagogos ethnos, a, a, a synagogue of nations. All right? Um, and so, that doesn't make the nations Israel. It brings the nations in to the assembly of Israel, as was foretold all the way back in Genesis. Because the blessing was all, it wasn't just for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the nation of Israel. It was to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Israel for the nations also. 
the nations would be brought in. Okay, now, new covenant. Okay, so now the old covenant was with Israel. If Israel is obedient, they'd be in the land. If they follow the Lord, they'd be in the land. Well, uh, they, uh, they didn't follow the Lord. They rejected And they went after the gods of the nations. Okay, so, so they rejected the Lord. They went after the gods of the nations. So he kicked them out of the land and dispersed them among the Gentiles. Right? Uh, the law failed to do its job. In uh, Galatians chapter 3, Paul explains that the law was added because of transgression. Okay? Uh, um, it was given to those who were under the law. Who is that? Israel. The Gentiles weren't under the law. They weren't in covenant relationship with the Lord. Uh, so Israel rejected the Lord, and the law failed to do its job. And so now... Israel is looking for this future restoration, and how are they going to be restored since the law is not going to achieve it? The law can't do it. Why doesn't the law do it? Uh, because they're a stiff-necked, rebellious people uh, with a hard heart. So we're going to change the heart. We're going to give them a new heart and a new spirit. And through the new heart and the new spirit, uh, I, then uh, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 31. This making sense? We tracking? Yes or no? I hear you, but I have no idea what you're saying. Or no, this is making sense. Okay. All right. And if you're going, I hear you, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, that's okay. Um, this may be the first time. That's okay. Once we hear it about 10,000 times, or once we teach it about 10,000 times, it starts to sink in. So I'm starting to figure it out. I think I'm getting a little closer. So if this is your first time, that's okay. Okay, so, so this is Jeremiah chapter 31. Okay. Um, let me show you. Uh, okay, so hold your finger at Jeremiah 31. Okay, I'm going to show you a few places. Okay, so because I, I don't want you to think this is just one passage deal. Okay, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. So go to Ezekiel 36. And I want you to hold another finger there. This is going to take three fingers. Okay. Uh, so I want you in Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, and now, everybody there, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, and now go back to Deuteronomy. Shocking, right? Uh, yeah, Deuteronomy, that's a shocker, right? Deuteronomy chapter 30. Okay, so let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So it shall be. Um, Chapter 28, Deuteronomy 28, blessings and curses. If you're obedient, I will bless you in the land. If you're disobedient, I will kick you out of the land. I will disperse you among the nations, and I will send war and famine and death upon you. Remember, seals 2 and 3 and 4, war, famine, and death. And these judgments are going to come upon you, Israel, so that you will return to the Lord your God. Okay? So, it's, so all these things will come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord your God. Uh, that word is shuv, shuv. Uh, the remnant will return, <laughs> only the remnant will return. Shir uh, yashuv, do you hear it? Shuv, shir jashub, shir yashuv, shuv. When you return to the Lord, we, we would translate it as repent or something like that. You return to the Lord. Um, and obey him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, according to all that I commanded you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you. Same word, return you. You return to the Lord, he will return you from captivity. He will return you from captivity. He will have compassion upon you. He will gather you from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Do you see the word scattered? We talked about this when we were talking about James. To the 12 tribes dispersed, greetings. In the Greek, this is the diaspora. Uh, in First Peter, Peter is writing to those dispersed throughout yeah, Cappadocia, Bithynia, Asia, and all that stuff, right? Why are they dispersed? Um, ha have you not read? We got 39 books that tell you why they were dispersed in the Old Testament, and four books in the New Testament that tell you why they're still dispersed, <laughs> because they didn't repent. They did not shoo. They did not return to the Lord their God, and so he did not restore them from captivity. Now, there are those 
who, so, so Peter is writing to these believers who are still dispersed. Well, how are they supposed to live in, in the diaspora? In light of the fact that they have believed the gospel, but Israel has not yet been restored, not yet uh, returned to the Lord, so they're not, they have not been returned to the land. Okay. But this is looking forward to this time when they repent, when they return, and then he restores them. Uh, he will have compassion upon them. If, uh, verse 4, if uh, your outcasts are at the end of the earth, from there, the Lord your God will bring you all back, uh, and he will gather you back, and he will bring you uh, back into the land, uh, into the land which your fathers possessed, verse 5, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you more uh, and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul in order that you may live. Right? Uh, so he's going to uh, restore them and circumcise their heart. Right, Jeremiah 31. Now, what's happened in the story? Uh, what Moses said was going to happen is happening. Israel's rejected the Lord. And so Jeremiah in 29 is saying, all right, guys, pack your bags because you're leaving and you're not coming back for 70 years. Right? Israel's being dispersed among the nations, as was foretold uh, by Moses and all of the prophets. Right? And so now, um, here's their hope. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I, the Lord, will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay, what does that mean? How do we interpret the house of Israel and the house of Judah? Ready for this? Uh, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Okay. Who does that not mean? It does not mean the Gentiles. It does not mean anybody else. It means the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Israel was kicked out of the land in 722. And now Judah is being kicked out of the land in 605, 597, 586. But behold, the days are coming when he was. So, so this is just sounding out the big words, right? Uh, not like the covenant, which I made with their fathers. What fathers? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Uh, verse 32, uh, thir chapter 31, verse 32. I will make a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, verse 32, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and brought them out of the, the land of Egypt. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Uh, when was that? Um, the Exodus, <laughs> right? And what covenant was that? The Mosaic covenant, okay? My covenant, which they break, uh, broke. Did they break it? Yes although I was a husband to them. All throughout these, these stories, Israel's called the bride. And they're waiting for their bridegroom, right? Uh, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. There it is again. After those days. After what days? After I kick him out of the land and after what I said is going to happen happens, then I'm going to restore him, right? I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. It goes on to say, so look, if you, if you look out there and you see, uh, see the sun come up in the morning or waves on the seashore or stars or moon, know this. I have not deserted my people Israel from being a nation before me forever. A nation, right? Jeremiah 36. Uh, Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. Now, Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel is prophesying to the land of Israel. He's saying, all right, land, here's what's going to happen to you. Right? Um, get ready. Um, o mountains of Israel, verse 8. Um, you will bring, uh, you will put forth branches and you will bear fruit for my people Israel, for they shall soon come. They're coming back to the land. For behold, I am with you. I will return to you, and you shall be cultivated and sown, and I will multiply upon you uh, men, all of it, all of the house of Israel. The cities will be inhabited, the waste places will be rebuilt, and I will build upon, uh, uh, I will multiply man and beast, and they will increase and be fruitful, and I will cause you to be inhabited as you were before, and I will treat you better than at first. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 12, I will cause my people Israel to walk upon you and to possess you. Do you see that? This is an interesting phrase. 
in the in the uh, Septuagint, the the uh, Greek translation it says, "I will cause my people Israel to be begotten upon you again, born again, begotten again." How do I see the kingdom? You won't see the kingdom unless you're begotten again in the land. If you're not resurrected from the dead, you're not going to see the kingdom. Jesus says to Nicodemus, "Born again? How can I go into my mother's room?" He goes, "Holy smoke." you're the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? I'm, I'm quoting New Covenant. I mean, this is the hope of the nation, right? And so, uh, and so he continues. Uh, verse, uh, uh, chapter 36, uh, skip down a little bit. Verse, uh, uh, verse 22. Uh, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went. Okay, what does that mean? Well, they were dispersed among the nations and they, Profane the name of the Lord there. They didn't follow the Lord there. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you profaned in their midst. Then the nations. Do you notice there's a distinction between Israel and the nations? Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord. When I, the Lord, prove myself holy among you, Israel, in their nation's sight. For I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all the lands. I will bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle you with water on you. I will make you clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. And I will cleanse you from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. And I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk uh, according to all my statutes and be careful to keep all my ordinances. Uh, And you will live in the land which I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people, and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all of your uncleanliness, and I will call for the grain and all the, uh, the, the fruit of the trees and all that. Then you will remember, remember your evil ways, verse 31, which were not good, and you will loathe yourself. I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord. Let it be known. Be ashamed and confounded. Thus says the Lord, on the day that I cleanse you, verse 33, from all of your iniquities and cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt and the desolate land to be cultivated instead of a desolation. And everyone who walks by, they will say this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden and the waste places and the desolate and the ruined cities fortified. Then the nations that are left around and about you will know that I am the Lord who have rebuilt the waste places, planted the desolate places. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this I will, uh, thus also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, increase the flocks, increase the men, and all this stuff. It's not passed yet. Um, This is, uh, so so, um, the book of Daniel is looking forward to the 70th week when Israel is restored. And so at the mid-trib point, Israel believes uh, the the Antichrist follows them into, or the serpent, Satan follows them into the wilderness. Then the Christ returns and establishes the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. The two witnesses call them to repentance. Israel repents. Uh, the nation uh, is pursued in the wilderness. Christ comes and delivers them, and he establishes the kingdom in the land, uh, in the midst of the nations. None of that's taken place yet. See, that's the definition of the kingdom throughout all the prophets. So we have to change the definition of the kingdom to make the kingdom now. Now, the problem we get is in the book of Revelation. It tells us that during the time of the kingdom, Satan is bound. Well, if this is the kingdom, he's he's on a long leash. That's a long chain if he's bound now, right? Yeah, he needs a heavier ball, and and we need a little better. Yeah. Um, So so the, the, the preterist movement is... It's dying quickly. Um, yeah. Now, people will still try to defend it. Um, but uh, sound out the words. Read it. Right? Uh, and so what we want to do, uh, my goal for uh, teaching, so I don't know, I don't have enough time with these seminary students to truly change what they think. All right? So they're going to hear it. But here, I just want you to be able to pick up this book and go, well, this makes sense. Right, but but you you know get to where you can just read it. Oh, well, this makes sense. I got it. I know what's going on here. That's our goal.
When, uh, when I was teaching a seminary class and I was asking students, why were they coming to seminary? And I found out that they were coming to seminary for the same reason I went to seminary. I didn't go to seminary to be a seminary professor. Certainly. Uh, I went to, I, I started seminary because I want to learn the Bible. I came home the first day and I said, I want to be a seminary professor because I want to know what those guys know. Um, but most people are going to seminary not to be pastors. Overwhelmingly, like 80, uh, I think we only have 12% of our students want to be pastors. About 88% are just like you. They're going, I want to go to learn the Bible, right? And I remember saying this in class one time. Well, if we would teach this in church, we wouldn't have to pay sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars to go to seminary to get a seminary degree that you ought to be able to get for free at church. And as I was saying that, I'm thinking, well, why are you teaching it at church? And so I decided I was going to change that, right? Uh, so now um, I would tell you that um, uh, of, I'd say with all of our classes added up, I teach fewer students with all my classes added up in five different cities. In one semester, then I teach here on Tuesday morning and Sunday. Okay. Uh, and and y'all now, most of you, many of you have been with me longer than seminary students. Probably know more than them. You, yeah, we ought to be able to give you the, Yeah, so um, uh, you probably do better than most of our seminary students in your understanding of the world. Um, so, uh, you know, so if I had the choice between teaching there and teaching here, I'm going to choose here. I'm going to choose here. Long term, this is, you know, the, uh, I will build my seminary and the gates of hell will not prevail. No, it's not, I don't think that's how that reads, right? I don't think that's how that reads. Right? No, whatever you want. If you come, you get to decide. What do you want? Okay, so next, so here's what we got. So next week, uh, so next week, we're going to finish the book of Revelation. I want to go through seven, uh, 19 through, through 22, unless we get another question, because this was helpful, right? This is a helpful discussion, yeah. Which is why I like, you know, if you ask a question, we'll, we'll cover that because that's kind of. Um, so the conclusion is that it's really for Israel. It's for Israel, but we participate in the blessings of the promises made throughout the Old Testament, which include that. So the new covenant, when Israel restored, when Israel is restored through the new covenant, uh, they will be restored to the land and they will get the blessing. Now we get to participate in the blessing now. The promise of the blessing now. Resurrection was done. Yes. And so when Jesus comes, he comes to bring a new covenant to Israel. But not just to Israel, for the nations as well. Good? Let me close the word of prayer. We're done. Lord, thanks for our time. Our desire to, to know your word, to know your plans. It's a wonderful plan. Your grace towards us is overwhelming. So we thank you for that. Thank you for the ability to participate in it, to be a part of it. Uh, to know it, and then to live it out. So, Lord, uh, do that in all of us in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.